Um, so again, we're in Joshua 10 today. Um, we're in Joshua 10. We're going to be going through uh, just a small portion of it. We're not going to go through the whole chapter because it's a really long chapter. Uh, over the last several weeks, we have been going through a series called Forward. And in this series, we have been focusing on what it means to live for Christ, to live in Christ. What does it mean to live in a relationship with Christ and overflowing from that relationship with Christ? And we have seen that it is living by faith, not by your means, not by your abilities, not by your works, not by any anything other, not law, not, not this, not that. It is living by Christ, in Christ, for Christ, nothing else. You have to die to yourself. You have to sacrifice yourself and live for his kingdom, live for the advancement of his gospel, sharing the gospel with other people. That is what we have been exploring over this last few, six weeks, really. This is the sixth week of the series. And my prayer for you as your pastor, my prayer for you as your pastor, something that I do not take lightly, is that you would be continually grown in your faith that you would be continually increased in your faith. Kind of like how Paul talks about, that's something that I've been encouraged in as a pastor, is to be praying for you guys, praying for your faith, that you are increased in faith, that, that your relationship with Christ is not based on what you can do for him, but rather who he is for you who he is for you on behalf of his glory being magnified in creation. And so that has been my prayer for you through this series is that you guys increase in your faith, not increase in your serving capacity, not increase in this, that, or the other, not numbers, but rather faith. Trusting that the Lord is going to do the work that he has entrusted you with, but also entrusting that he's going to continue working things out in your life as well. Because I know that we all battle with things. We all wrestle with things. We all wrestle with knowing that God is going to come through in a situation, that God is going to see this situation through, that he's going to break through and make a way in this. But we've seen in Scripture through Joshua that he made a way through the Jordan River for the Israelites to enter in, and he made a way at Jericho, and he made a way at Ai. Despite sin and disobedience, he made a way. And so today when we are in Joshua 10, we're going to see the continuation of that story. Last week we talked about the Gibeonites in chapter 9. I managed to somehow preach on the whole chapter, uh, which was really, really long. Um, but last week we talked about the Gibeonites, and we talked about how the Gibeonites deceived the Israelites. They lied about who they were so that they wouldn't be destroyed by Israel when Israel would come and conquer the city. And we, we wrestled with that idea of why did the Gibeonites lie? Why, why was it okay that they, that they lied? And ultimately, it was in God's greater plan that they'd be brought into this, and we're going to see why today. We're going to see why that had to happen. Why, why was it okay? Why did the Lord allow it? Why did the Lord bring it in? Yes, was it disobedience? Yes, was it deceiving? Yes, did Joshua and the Israelites disobey by not going to the Lord in prayer? Yes, they did all those things. But even in our disobedience, the Lord still works all things together for his good and his glory. We have Jesus, right? In our disobedience, he still sent Jesus. He didn't have to send Jesus. He didn't have to send Jesus to atone for our sin, to atone for our disobedience, to be the atoning sacrifice and the pleasing offering for us. He didn't have to do that, but he chose to do that. And we're going to see today how Joshua embodies the gospel in chapter 10. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in chapter 10 today. Um, we're going to start in verse 6, so I'm going to kind of explain what the first little bit is about. So in the beginning of chapter 9, we saw these five kings in the southern, uh, southern uh, kingdoms of Israel uh, unify and create this one big army. I would compare it to Marvel movies, but you guys still don't know about Marvel movies. A handful of you do. Uh, but I would compare it to Marvel movies because I have a really good imagery situation for that, but it's not going to work. So anyways, I'm still really salty about that. I said last week I was salty. I'm still salty about it, but um, 
it, they, they formed this one big unified alliance. And so all of these thousands and thousands and thousands of people have gathered to fight against Israel. And we see this one king, his name is Adonizek. He's uh, a direct descendant of Melchizedek, who we see Abraham interact with in Genesis. And he is the king of Jerusalem. He still is king, and he's maintaining lineage and kingship of this city that his, uh, don't necessarily know, but several great-grandfather uh, was king of. And so it's interesting because we see Melchizedek was for Abraham and for God's people, but Adonizek is against God's people and against Joshua. And so it's interesting to see the, the interesting parallel, and he's actually the leader of this army. So he, he gathers this great army against Israel and against Gibeon, and when he finds out that Gibeon is, a, is allied with Israel, he tells all of the, all of the army, hey, we're going to go and we're going to siege Gibeon. And so this entire army is gathered around Gibeon, gathered around their cities, fighting against the city, and Gibeon cries out to Israel for help. The interesting thing, last thing, interesting thing to know about the start of this story is we don't find this out in chapter 9, but we found out in chapter 10 that all the Gibeonite men, they're mighty men fit for battle. They are strong men. The, the writer of Joshua describes them as strong, mighty men fit for battle. And so it's interesting that these mighty men fit for battle, these strong men fit for battle, cry out to Israel for help when they could have potentially taken them on their own. And so we're going to pick up in verse 6. We're going to pick up in verse 6. It's going to be on the screen behind me. So in verse 6 it says, Then the men of Gibeon sent word to Joshua. After they heard about these things, they sent word to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal. Don't give up on your servants. Come quickly and save us. Help us for all the Amorite kings living in the hill country have joined forces against us. So Gibeon cries out. They cry out and they say, hey, we're being seized. We're being overtaken. We're being overwhelmed. You see, the idea of siege, that meant that this, this uh, army that was fighting against them, it cut off their water supply. They cut off their food supply. They cut off every means for them to live. And so this army is literally destroying this city slowly, but also attacking it, trying to break in, trying to, to get in this stronghold, trying to get in this fortress that is Gibeon. And we know that it's a big city because in the beginning it says that it's bigger than even Ai. And so they cry out to Joshua. They cry out to Joshua and they say, don't give up on your servants. The idea of servants, again, that word means slaves. They say, don't give up on your slaves. Don't give up on the people who are serving you. In chapter 9, we, we saw them call themselves out, and we, said, we see that Joshua said that they were going to be slaves in the temple. And so they're, they're understanding their identity and their place in the kingdom when they say this. And they say, come quickly and save us. Help us, for all the Amorite kings living in the hill country have joined forces against us. They cry out because they can't handle the situation on their own. They can't handle the situation on their own. They don't know what to do. Their water supply has been cut off. Their food supply has been cut off. That's what it meant for a siege. And so it's interesting because even for us, when we go through circumstances, when we go through hard times, when we go through difficult uh, decisions in life, we, f we feel like everything's kind of been cut off for us. We feel like uh, we've been cut off from this person. We feel like we've been cut off from this emotion or, or we don't have this community around us anymore or, or we don't have this option or that doesn't really matter. We feel like the Gibeonites in this situation, we feel surrounded by our emotion. We feel surrounded by our anger, our sadness, our loneliness. You see, loneliness, it can lead you to a place of apathy. Sadness, it can lead you to a place of guilt and shame. Anger, it can lead you to a place of pride, and it can separate you from everything that God is trying to do in your life. It's okay to feel the emotion. It's okay. God gave you that emotion to feel it, but he does not want you to live in it. 
He wants you to live in the freedom that he's given you. Jesus came and he died on the cross. He set you free from the sin. He set you free from sin so that you did not have to live in that loneliness, so you did not have to live in that sadness, so you did not have to live in that anger, but rather so you could live in the gladness, the joy that he has given you. He, he came, Jesus died on the cross so that you could live in the blessing of his cross, so you could live in the blessing of his, of his grace and his mercy, so you could say, God, come quickly and save me in my circumstances. We see David do that. David does that over and over in the Psalms, and starting in two weeks, we're going to start talking about that every week for the entire summer, so get ready. It's going to be great. But we see them cry out and say, help us. Have you ever cried out to God and just asked him to help you? Have you ever just hit your knees in a moment and say, God, I don't know what to do? You just come to the end of yourself? You just hit the end of yourself and you're, God, I don't know how to get through this situation. I don't know how to end this addiction. I don't know how to, to break this chain. I don't know how to get out of this relationship. I don't know how to do it, God, but I know that you do because I know who you are. That's what the Gibeonites are doing in this, in this situation. They know who God is because they know that Israel is for God and that God is for them. And so they're crying out to Israel, but they're also crying out to the Father, saying, save us. Save us. And so in verse 7, we see it says, So Joshua and all of his troops, including all of his best soldiers, came from Gilgal. Why does this matter? Why does this matter? Why does it matter that Joshua could have let it happen? Remember, Joshua and the Israelites, they made a rash oath. They made a quick oath. They didn't, they didn't seek the Lord in it. Why, why wouldn't Joshua just let them be destroyed? Why wouldn't Joshua be like, well, that's just going to take care of that problem. I don't got to worry about it now. It's kind of like suppressing your emotions. You know, like, I'm going to go smoke that. It'll take care of that problem. I won't feel it for a little while. Or I'm going to go, for me, I'm going to go play these video games for a little while. I don't got to deal with my emotions or any reality of life. Or I'm going to sit on the couch. I said this a couple weeks ago, too. I'm going to go to Target. Yeah, y'all know. Y'all know. I'm going to keep attacking that Target thing because y'all know it's true. Everybody wants to go to Target and escape reality for a little while. Tyler's saying he doesn't want to, but you like shoe shopping. <laughs> but we all cry out, right? We all cry out. We all understand, hey, we, we, we need someone to save us. And so Joshua responds. Why is it important that Joshua responds? Well, first off, Joshua made an oath to them, and he made an oath in the name of the Lord. And so for him to break his oath would be disobedience, not towards the Gibeonites, but towards the Lord. And that would lead all the Israelites into sin again. And so Joshua knows that if he breaks this oath, if he breaks his word that is disobedience and is going is to dishonor the Lord and lead them into sin, lead them into not fulfilling what he's been entrusted with. And so he knows he has to honor his word. He knows he has to honor, honor his word. But the other thing that's interesting is through honoring his word, he brings all of his best soldiers. Again, why did he have to do that? Why didn't he just bring some of his soldiers? We saw a couple chapters ago that the Israelites had about 30,000 best soldiers. 30,000. That's a lot of people. I don't know if you know how to count, but that's a lot of people. I can't count to 30,000. That'd be really hard. They had 30,000 best men ready to fight their battles. 
And Joshua did not spare a single one. He brought every single person to the battle. You see, we see Joshua embodying what Jesus has done for us. We see Joshua embodying the one thing that I really want to drive home with you guys today. The one thing that I want you to carry out the door, whatever door you exit, it doesn't matter. What I want you to understand is that Christ has interceded for you. And Christ intercedes for you. We see Joshua pick up the mantle. We see Joshua say, I'm going to intercede for the Gibeonites because I have made an oath. I have made a promise. I have have laid my word down and I'm going to do what I have said that I'm going to do. I'm going to intercede for these people and come and fight for them. I'm going to respond to what, I'm going to respond to their cry. Jesus did the same thing. When Jesus left his throne in majesty, when he left and he, he, he took off all majesty, all splendor, and he came and he took on flesh and bone and he lived amongst us, he said, I am going to intercede for them. I am going to come and be in the middle. I am going to be the mediator. That's what Timothy, Paul says in Timothy, he says that Christ is the only mediator between us and the Father. Christ came to intercede for us because of our sin, because of our disobedience. Christ wanted to restore it back to the original glory and purpose that God had for everything. And God wants for everything. But he had to send Jesus. He had to send Christ. He had to send hope for us. He had to send hope to intercede for us. And we see Joshua in this moment. He's not sparing anything. Christ didn't spare anything either. He did not spare anything for us but rather he sent everything for us because he sent his only son. Y'all know that verse? He sent his only son for us, right? Right. Shaking your heads. Yeah. Y'all talk to me. I want y'all to talk to me. Don't, don't just sit there and nod your head. Talk to me. Don't look like zombies. This ain't a video game. All right, in verse 8, it says, The Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them. The Lord came to Joshua and he said... Do not be afraid of them, for I have handed them over to you. Not one of them will be able to stand against you. You see, God comes in this moment when he repeats this phrase that he's been repeating this whole time. And we see and we understand and we know from what we talked about towards the beginning of Joshua that God spoke this as confidence into God or into Joshua, I'm sorry. God spoke this as confidence into Joshua. He's saying, hey, do not be afraid of them. Do not let them lead you astray. Do not let them discourage you. Do not let them waver your trust of who I am and what I can do. You know what I have done in the past, and you have to believe that I will continue to do it in the future. Do not be afraid of them. And as I was going through this yesterday, I just asked the Lord to kind of reveal something different to me as I was praying over it and The other thing that caught me by surprise is when he says, do not be afraid, he's asking Joshua to not revere all the other kings and all their army. He's asking them to not revere them. He's asking, he's telling Joshua, he's saying, do not be in awe of all that they are, but rather be in awe of who I am. Do not be afraid of them. Be afraid of me. Be afraid of God. And when I say be afraid of God, I don't mean go hide in a corner because God's scary. I'm saying you need to fear the Lord because he is robed in majesty. He is robed in in splendor. All beauty and glory surrounds him. All light wraps him up and there is no darkness in him and no darkness can hide from him. Right? That's right. He's asking Joshua to revere him and not revere the things that are going on around him. And it's easy for us because we can get so wrapped up in the thing that's going around us, right? Right? 
We can get so wrapped up in fearing the circumstances that surround us, fearing the circumstances of our job. I know one thing I used to struggle with is I never felt like I did enough for my job. I never felt like I could be good enough. I never felt like I could accomplish enough. I never felt like what I did was my best. I constantly, constantly in my mind had this idea that I was going to lose my job and I was afraid of it. But if rather I had rested in the Lord and understood that my confidence and my ability did not define who I was, but rather my identity in Christ defined who I was, that wouldn't have bothered me. Praise God, he's, he's worked that out of me. But it's the same thing for, for all of us. We all wrestle with the circumstances in our life. Am I doing enough? Does my wife know that I'm doing enough for her? Does my husband know that I'm doing enough for him? Does he know that I love, I love him? Does my son, does my daughter? I can't tell you how many times I've thought about that. Am I doing enough for TJ? Am I, am I, uh, am I pouring into my son's life enough? I've told you guys this once before. This is not my Bible. This is TJ's Bible that I preach out of, and I take my notes in, because my hope is through shepherding this church that I'm also able to shepherd my son by showing him things in Scripture that will help him see the gospel one day. And I don't say that to boast in myself. I say that as an example. I say that as an example that we have to revere who God is. We have to revere that he is the only option. He is the only choice, not Target, not Marvel movies, not, not this, that, or the other. All those examples that I continue to throw out there, those things don't matter. At the end of the day, the only thing that matters is do I revere my Father in heaven who is wrapped up in majesty and splendor. And God continues in this, and he says, I have handed them over to you. No, he does not say that Joshua has already defeated them. He says, I have. He says, I have handed them over to you. Not one of them will be able to stand against you. So in this moment, we see, to continue on the idea, we, we see that not only does Joshua intercede, but God intercedes with Joshua. When the Gibeonites, like I said, the Gibeonites are crying out to Joshua, but not only are they calling out, crying out to Joshua, they're crying out to the God. And so God hears their cry the same way that Joshua does, and when Joshua responds, so does God. It's the same thing for Jesus. When we cry out to Jesus, when we cry out to the Father, they both hear it. And Jesus, being the mediator between us and the Father, because of his grace and mercy, he sent his Holy Spirit who is working in us, and the Father works in us through the Holy Spirit. God has given you the promise of the Holy Spirit to intercede for you. Jesus promised that. He sent that. The same way that Joshua intercedes, so does God in this moment. You see, God, Joshua is just following God's example. Joshua is just following God's example at this moment. We don't know exactly when, per se, the Lord spoke this to Joshua. He could have spoke to this to Joshua before Joshua responds. We don't know exactly when. Because, believe it or not, this chapter is actually kind of out of order. We're going to get to that in just a minute. So hold on to that idea. So in verse 9, it says, So Joshua caught them by surprise after marching all night. So after the Lord speaks courage, speaks boldness, speaks truth, speaks trust, speaks reverence into Joshua's life, or on the way at least, Joshua and all of his troops, all of his best men, we can assume that it's probably all 30,000 of the people, if not more, are going to fight this battle. They march all night. See, the thing that makes this significant is this happens right after they get done hearing from the law and they hear this deception. So the Israelites maybe have been resting for like a day, maybe two, maybe three, actually. Maybe three at the most. They've been resting for just a couple days. So marching all night, you have to imagine they're probably still exhausted from the last fight. 
They're exhausted. They're at the end of themselves, but yet they still respond, and Joshua still responds. And it says, the Lord, the Lord threw them, the, all the other kings, threw them into confusion before Israel. He defeated them in a great slaughter at Gibeon, chased them through the ascent at Beth Horon, and struck them down as far as uh, Ezekah as, as and uh, Maket, sorry, tongue twister, uh, Maketa, I cannot. Sorry. Uh, as they fled before Israel, the Lord threw large hailstones on them from the sky along the descent of Beth Horon all the way to Azekah. And they died. More of them died from the hail than the Israelites with the, killed them with the sword. So who did it? Who won this battle? Who interceded? The Lord. The Lord interceded in this moment. The same way Christ intercedes when we read the gospel. The Lord intercedes in this moment. The Lord hears the cry of the Gibeonites. He sees that Joshua responds and he sends Joshua out. But God says, hold up. I'm going to do it myself. He says, I'm going to take care of it myself because I need you all to understand who I am. I need you all to revere me. I need you all to understand that I intercede for you. And so I'm going to do something that only I can do. I'm going to throw hail. I'm going to throw hail from the sky, and I'm going to take out all these people. I'm going to destroy this army before you all. You're still going to fight. You're still going to participate, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And you see, the interesting thing is we're about to see why God does it. Not only because of who he is and because he hears, but hears the Gibeonites, but in verse 12, it says, On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to the Israelites, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the presence of Israel. This prayer, by the way, it, it takes place somewhere amongst the battle, somewhere amongst everything that's happening. While it's recorded after the story, quote-unquote, concludes, this prayer that Joshua's getting ready to say takes place more than likely right before the battle. Joshua spoke this in the presence of Israel to the Lord. He says, Sun, stand still over Gibeon, and moon over the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on its enemies. Isn't it written in the book of Jashar? So the sun stopped in the middle of the sky, delaying it from setting almost a full day. The book of Jashar, that's just a non-canonical book. That means that it's just like a history book for the Israelites kind of records historical events, uh, so you guys kind of understand that. But Joshua prays this prayer saying, Sun, sun in the sky, stand still. Moon, stand still. What Joshua's praying, he's saying, hey, God, extend the day so that we can have this victory today because you have given us this victory today. You have released us from the fear of these people today. You have conquered this today. God, I'm saying right now in this, in this room, I'm saying, in this moment, I'm saying, give us more time for this to happen today because we do not want to wait any longer. We want you to accomplish this now. Joshua's acting in obedience, and he's, he, again, he's interceding in, on behalf of the Gibeonites. He's interceding on behalf of the Gibeonites, and because of this prayer, we see that God intercedes for the Gibeonites and for Israel because he protects both of them in this battle, and he wins the battle for them. He does more in this battle than anything else. He does more in this battle than the Gibeonites. In fact, we don't even actually see the Gibeonites fight in this battle. We just see the Israelites fight in this battle. He does more in this fight than the Israelites do. But both Joshua and the Lord intercede for the Gibeonites. 
How great is Jesus? Because he intercedes for us. How great is Jesus because he intercedes for us. He, he came and he was the atoning sacrifice for us. I want to read for you guys out of uh, Ephesians. Ephesians 2, verse 17. I don't think it's going to be on the screen behind me. That's okay. But if you have your Bibles, turn your Bibles to Ephesians 2, verse 17. I'll give you just a second to get there. But while you're getting there, I need you to understand that Paul wrote this, this part of his letter because he's, he's concerned for the unity in the church. He's concerned for the unification of the church. And so when he's writing this, he's explaining the gospel. He's explaining the purpose of the gospel, the purpose of why Jesus came. And he gets to the culmination of it. And he says in verse 17, he came, Jesus, Jesus came and proclaimed the good news, the, the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. Jesus came and he said, he proclaimed that he was the salvation, that he was the way, he was the truth, he was the life, and he came to set the captives free. He came to release you from the bondage of your sin. He came and he told all who were far off and all who were close. He came to tell the Gentiles and the Jews. He came to tell every single person that existed, that he came to set them free from sin. He came to set them free from lies that bound them up. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So we see through Jesus coming and, and uh, proclaiming this truth that we also see this promise that Jesus was going to send his Holy Spirit. And Paul reminds the Ephesian church, hey, he sent his spirit. He sent his Holy Spirit so that you could have that intercession, so that you could participate in that intercession. We see that the Spirit is who intercedes for us. Christ came and he intercedes for our sin. The Holy Spirit comes and he intercedes for everything else. Christ came and he died once for everything and he sent his Holy Spirit to continue to work out everything. God sent his Holy Spirit. He sent his Son. He sent himself. He came and he took on flesh. He died so that we could be set free from our sin and renewed in his Spirit, brought into a new life. You see, when we live in the Spirit, we are being renewed in truth. We are being renewed in life. We are being renewed in all things that is God's character. And he sent his Spirit so that we could have this. God intercedes through his Spirit so that we could have this. How great is that? How, how beautiful is that? That we can have his spirit through that. I want to share another verse with you guys. Or another story with you guys, I'm sorry. So as I was reading this week out of Matthew 8 in my quiet time, I came across a story that caught my attention. And again, I was just asking the Lord to show me something different. And I got to verse 18. I'm sorry, I got to verse 23. I have my sticky note in the wrong place. I got to verse 23. And this is just after Jesus has finished the Sermon on the Mount. And he's healed a couple people. And so he's deciding that he and his disciples are going to leave. And it says, as he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Suddenly a violent storm arose on the sea. And so the boat was being kept, was being swamped by the waves. But Jesus kept sleeping. And so the disciples came and woke him up saying, Lord, save us. We are going to die. And he said to them, when he woke up, he said to them, why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Have you ever looked yourself in the mirror and asked yourself, why are you afraid? He says, why are you afraid? 
you of little faith. Some people might imagine that Jesus probably said that in anger or like frustration or like with a, with a rash voice. I imagine him saying it gently, saying, why are you afraid? You have little faith. And as I was reading the story, and I continued reading the, next, the, the end of this verse and the next verse, it says, then he got up and he rebuked the wind and the seas and there was a great calm. I was like, okay, like Jesus has got power of the storm. He, he, the disciples were afraid. But then I read this next part. It says in verse 27, the men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? The disciples. The disciples were amazed and they asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the sea obey him. You see, the disciples got afraid because they didn't understand who Jesus was. Joshua was encouraged by the Lord to revere him because God knew that Joshua needed to know who God was. See, the stories are almost a direct parallel. Joshua was afraid. More than likely, he was afraid. You have to imagine, he was marching to battle. You're going to be afraid. It's not like Joshua was emotionless. Joshua was afraid walking into this battle. And the Lord spoke to them and said, Do not be afraid. Do not revere them, revere me. And when Jesus gets up after being woken up by the disciples because they're freaking out because it's a really bad storm, and Jesus says, do not, or why are you afraid? Why are you revering the storm more than you're revering me? Why are you giving more all to, to the storm that's, that's tossing this boat back and forth than you are me? And we do that in our life, don't we? We give more all to the circumstances in our life. We give more all to the things that we're experiencing in our life. We give more all to, to the fact that maybe you're tired. Maybe you've started a new job. Maybe, maybe you're trying to figure out how you're supposed to operate in ministry. Maybe you're trying to navigate being a grandparent or something of that nature. Maybe you're trying to navigate a really, really hard situation where you just you feel like you're at the end of yourself and you're just so overwhelmed by it. But the reality is, is that you're so overwhelmed by it because you're giving all of your all, you're giving all of your glory, you're giving all your praise to that one thing because you're letting it rule your life. You're letting that be the ruler of your life and not the Lord. You're not letting him be your strength. You're not letting him be your king. You're not letting him be your Lord. I'm not saying don't feel those things. Feel those things, but you have to walk through them. If you let them consume you, if you let them lead you, then they are your Lord. But if Christ is your Lord, if Christ has interceded for you and you are living in Christ with a life set forward, looking forward to the kingdom that was built and established by the Father, if your life is that, then those things do not control you. I've set the example the last couple of times. If we live so far back in our past, if we live so far away, so distant from everything that's going on in our life, if we're so focused on where we've been and not where God is taking us, then we will never go where God is taking us. We will never go where God wants to take us because we're so focused on where we've been. We have to live with the heart set forward. We have to live for Christ. We have to die to ourselves. We have to understand that, yes, we may be in the boat and the waves may be crazy. The storm may be terrible. The lightning is popping everywhere. The rain is hard. It does not matter. Christ is on the boat with you. And if Christ is the Lord of all things, why would the Lord tip the boat over? Why would the Lord tip the boat over? Why? 
He wouldn't because it's his son who he sent to die for you and you are with him and you are in him. You are living in him and his Holy Spirit is in you because his Holy Spirit was sent by him when he interceded. His Holy Spirit was sent to intercede for you and to continuously intercede for you. Church, do you feel like the Lord is interceding for you? Do you feel like the Lord is interceding for you? Do you feel like he is walking with you? What situation? I'm just going to sit down for a second. What situation in life right now do you not feel like he's interceding for you? I guarantee everybody in this room can think of one thing. I guarantee it. The reality is, too, I'm just going to call it out. If you can't think of something, you're not thinking hard enough. You're not thinking hard enough. Because the gospel, the gospel is going to constantly challenge and renew your mind. Because the gospel is against everything that this world is. And if there's any part of you that's living in this world, then it's not living for the gospel. You're a broken, simple person just like me. I'm broken, I'm simple. I've got things that I need Christ to intercede for. I do. But I know that Christ is interceding for me. Because like I said in Timothy, Paul tells Timothy, Christ is the mediator, the one and only mediator between me and the Father. And if Christ came and lived a perfect, sinless life and died on a cross to be my atonement, then I know that Christ is interceding for me and I know that I live in his protection and his promise. I know that he will set me free and that he will continue to intercede for me. I wasn't planning on sharing this. I'm going to flip to John really quick as we close. You gotta find it. I've shared this before, but I just want to encourage you again to show you how Jesus intercedes for you. To show you how Christ intercedes for you. The same way that Joshua interceded for the Gibeonites and God interceded because Joshua interceded. Jesus was interceding for you on the night that he was going to go to the cross, the night that he was going to be taken to jail, stripped, beaten, flogged, abused for you and me. He interceded for you because he said, I pray not only for these, his disciples, but for those who believe in me through their word, you. You believe through the word of disciples past, generations past. He prayed for you in this moment. And he said, may they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. I have given you them. I have given them the glory you have given me so that may, they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me so that they may be made completely one that the world may know that you sent me and have loved me as you lo loved them as you loved me. Jesus prays, and he prays that the Father would not only unify he and the Father, but also that you would be unified with the Father. And he does that by the promise of his Holy Spirit. He does that through the interceding of his Holy Spirit. He does that through his death on the cross for you. And so whatever it is, the thing that, 
that you're wrestling with, that you need Christ to intercede for, whatever weight it is, he has interceded for it. He has mediated for it. He has given you grace and mercy for it. So whatever weight you're carrying, I'm going to pray that the Lord takes it off your shoulders because you don't need to carry it anymore because there is hope in the gospel. There is hope in the truth that you are no longer bound by your sin but set free because Christ has saved you. The last question, Bobby kind of hinted at this when Bobby shared the story. So praise God. It's just amazing to see how the Holy Spirit works. When John the Baptist was interceding and, and came before Jesus and prepared the way, he was preparing the way. He was interceding. Who are you interceding for? I'm not asking that question lightly. This whole book right here is about that. It's about God interceding for his people and Jesus interceding for us and his disciples interceding for other people, reaching the nations, going and making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them the commands. Who are you interceding for? That, that command that Jesus gave his disciples, it's intercession. It's, it's saying, hey, I want to share my story with you. I know that Christ has set me free, and I know that there is redemption in my story because of his grace and his truth. I want to share that with you. And I believe that Christ is for you too. Who are you interceding for? You know, I've said previously that it's not about filling this room up. I'm going to take that back for a second. I want this room to be filled up. Not for me. Not for I.D. Clifton. But for God's glory. I want to see this room filled with people who are living for Christ, living in Christ because they understand the gospel. That's what I want to see. I want to see every single chair. Look around. Look at the empty chairs. I want to see this room filled up. I want to send out another church plant. I want to send a church plant to Inman. I want to send another church plant somewhere else in Spartanburg. I want to send Bobby to L.A. one day. But it starts with this church being the church and living in the hope of the gospel, the hope that we have that we have it's not had we have yeah you had hope on the day that you gave your life to Jesus but that hope has continued whether you believe it or not it's continued in your life and it's present in your life working all things out for the glory of the Father but we gotta be the church who are you interceding for who are you sharing the gospel with who are you inviting to church I want this church to be filled now whether it's this amount of people next week or more praise God Either way, I'm praising God because I'm glad you came to hear from the Word because this is His Word and this is His truth and it sets captives free. Right? That's right. Christ intercedes for you. He has interceded for you. What's one thing that you feel like He's not interceding for right now? And who are you interceding for? Because the reality is, is that both of those things have been accomplished. It's just about whether you're humbling yourself before the Father or you're living in the pride of your life. Let's pray. Thank you for joining us this week. We hope you were encouraged by the message. At ID Clifton, we exist to love God, love others, and make disciples. To learn more about ID Clifton, including our gathering times, small groups, and events, please visit us at idclifton.com. We'll see you next time.